from the master of style and suspense. Let's please give a warm round of applause to Robert S. Levinson. Hey, hey, hey. That's it. <laughs> Say who? Say who? And thanks, Shiloh, for um, indulging me once again. It's just a great bookstore which deserves your patronage. Uh, as usual, forgive uh, what I'm going through with speech. But if I can endure it, so can you. <laughs> so what? Hmm? Oh, no, water does not help. Nothing helps. This is it. Last, last, this is it. Last year when we did this, um, I was too nervous about doing a reading from the book, and my dear friend Joe Sutton filled in. And I figured, after the fact, if Joe could do it, maybe I could do it. <laughs> so I've been practicing. My thought is, I'll read you a little something from the book. You'll try to understand what I'm saying. When I'm through with that, We'll do a Q&A. If you have any cues, I'll probably either have the A's or lie about it. As long as it sounds good. Pardon me? As long as it sounds good. <laughs> how else would it sound? And uh, how's that? Does everybody approve of the play? Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Then, as you, as you know, the doors are now locked. <laughs> and you head out only if you buy a book. But there's no pressure. <laughs> okay. Ready? Ready? Ready. Ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the start of the fair. Slurzine Hot Roddy by Neil Holger. It was a long time ago, more than a decade ago, a lifetime ago, several lifetimes, in a galaxy not so far away from anything but the real world, Hollywood by name, showbiz capital of the solar system, where the movie stars are also famous for confusing themselves with the center of the universe. <laughs> Roddy Donaldson, for example, movie star supreme, he of the sunshine smile, Roddy Donaldson, acknowledged leader of the Diaper Dozen, the bumper crop of teenage movie stars whose every nose-picking escapade routinely sold trillions of copies of the weekly tabloid channel sheets that turned supermarket checkout counters into libraries for our gossip-drenched society. Roddy Donaldson. People magazine cho magazine's choice as sexiest man of the year, two years running, who's adoring our model of young and not so young female fans, the heralded Rod Squad, staged a mass protest demonstration as Grammar's Chinese the year he lost the glittering crown to Sean Connery. Roddy Donaldson. 
The guest insider said Johnny Carson wanted most before he willingly disappeared into the anonymity of retirement and tracked down by phone with a personal invitation. Not Johnny's usual MO, something he did about as often as he forgot to tap his coffee mug. That writing, Donaldson. The guest uh, Entertainment Tonight's Mary Hart who reported breathlessly the night after Roddy's appearance how Carson had compared the young man's hauntingly blue eyes with the violet majesty of Miss Elizabeth Taylor's royal haze and went on to ask, how blue are they? They are so blue, so blue. Paul Newman checked himself into the Bay Forest Clinic with a case of eyeball deprivation. <laughs> Nobody laughed louder than Roddy, and what a laugh. Appreciative and ingratiating, as frisky as his Cuisinart voice. Nineteen-year-old Roddy, reveling in the fun and attention with graciousness and the public good manners that supposedly had gone away with the old star system. Somebody had taught him well. Show your dazzling orthodonture. Pose for the pro photographs. Sign the autographs. Do the endless premieres, benefits, fundraisers, and personal appearances. Even the sporadic opening of a manhole cover to remind the fans how much you appreciate them. So there'll be understanding of your occasional bummers, the infrequent dark moods and bad moments that can't be hidden from a world media that covers scandal the way chimps relish bananas. The media sponsored an international headline festival after I found those two girls sprawled out naked and in bed with Roddy, underage and overdosed, their static eyes singing the too late blues, dead, murdered. <clears throat> Lifeless coming attractions for more deaths, what the movie business refers to as trailers, before a climax as shattering of any of those in the films that brought an easy early stardom to Roddy Donaldson. Death in the real world of Hollywood, where hundreds of people arrive every day to live out their stardust fantasies, unaware Hollywood is actually a town where dreams come to die. All those years ago, the night I found the girls dead, and Roddy clinging to life in his apartment climaxed the kind of day that, had it been a pack of cigarettes, would have come with a warning label. More than ten years ago, but the details as vivid as ever whenever I think back to Stardom House, and so much else unthinkable that began and ended with Roddy Donaldson, the stuff of nightmares, They'll continue to haunt me. More? Yeah. yeah. Author, author. This is now chapter two of Hiding a Bridge.
What sign of the day was it, you ask? Don't ask. I remember how among five falls and three hang-ups when I arrived home to my condo in Westwood was one log around 10 o'clock from the Heathcliff Farms resident manager, Sharon Glenn. There was an unusual urgency in her chronically calm voice, which resembles the sound I imagined somebody would make buttering a pane of glass. Neil, it's Sharon. Call me back, please, no matter what time you hear this. Okay? Okay, call me back. I punched in her number on the automatic dial. Sharon answered with my name before the first ring finished. I said, not too late? I said so, no, she said, sounding relieved at hearing my voice. Before I could ask, she said, it's Ronnie Donaldson again. Of course. Ronnie's mother has been after me for the last two hours to go over and check up on him. I don't want to do anything without you, you know? I know, as well I should have. Roddy Donaldson. There were a half dozen or so recognizable celebrities at the Heathcliff, including a former sitcom regular and a two-time All-America on Bruins teams that went to the Rose Belt Bowl back-to-back and got clobbered front to rear by Ohio State and Michigan State. But Roddy was the only movie star in this town that's like the pearl in the oyster. The entrance directory listed him by name of the character he played in a lush remake of Captain's Courageous, opposite the illustrious Brian Armstrong. Armstrong in the role that won a second Oscar for Spencer Tracy. Lush remake. How Freudian a choice of word. Shortly after Roddy moved in about eight or nine months ago, Sharon learned the kid was an alcoholic, certified, and chronic, a kid who couldn't handle one step, much less try for 12, but discreet in his staggering, savvy enough to avoid being spotted by other residents and abetted by our building security guards, who guided him upstairs and through the right doors like they were auditioning for a part in Roddy's next buddy movie. The first time the kid's mother called, asking Sharon to check out the apartment and confirm Roddy's presence, Sharon discovered him half on and half off his bed in a stupor, smelling like a distillery, using his pute for a pillow. She was on the phone to me immediately. We got the case cleaned up, and again the next time, and several times after that. It became obvious without Melba Donaldson telling us that her Megabucks movie star son was 19, going on early liver problems. Last Christmas, as an expression of her gratitude, Mrs. Donaldson sent Sharon a gift basket containing VHS copies of all his movies. Her note, hand-printed in large capital letters on an best note card that rings of money as well as perfume, said, Thanks for keeping your eyes open. 
had a few larger cards she might easily have added and her mouth shut. One early morning alert, Sharon found Roddy snoring off a hangover with a small American flag dragging at half-mast from his cock. I admired Roddy's patriotism, but all Sharon could think to do was blush. That's one reason I keep getting Sharon's calls asking me to join her and go inside the apartment first, like was happening now. I pushed outside and said, I'll meet you at your place in two minutes. Two minutes? Great, Neil. Neil? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean it, Neil. Thank you. I mean it, too. You're welcome. Does that mean we're friends again? Sharon let the question marinate for several moments before answering with one of her own. Were we ever never friends? I'll see you in two minutes, I said. End of reading. The last chapter, the end. Yeah. All right, where do we go from here, folks? I'd like to hear more about the uh, seduction scene in page 150. <laughs> uh, it, the book gets uh, rare as it goes along, and Roddy uh, sets out with help uh, 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 finally from, uh, I mean, when, when Neil sets out with help from Stevie to um, find what really happened in that bedroom. And it just, it just gets uglier and uglier uh, as he goes, uh, he's, as he circles areas of uh, Hollywood uh, mixed up with people he might not have known before and uh, it leads him uh, to the people who are responsible for that crime and, and maybe others. How's that for page 150? Yes. Joe? When you write a book, do you start writing on page one or do you have to get laid out in your mind? No, I start on page seven and work my way back. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I I have a sense of how the book might end, but that's as close as I come to plotting. Everything is right, you know, from, from basically the first sentence uh, to the last. Uh, my attitude has always been, I've said this before, I want to be constantly surprised. If I am, I know the reader will be. Uh, sometimes, uh, very often, I write myself into a corner and it's just really trying to get out. But when I do, it's great relief and a pleasure. You've written so many books. Where does page one come from? An idea. An idea. This, this was... Uh, I, don't want, I don't want to say easier, but I didn't have as much... Uh, much of a problem as I do sometimes when I'm saying, what am I going to write next? Because I've done nine standalones. And here I was saying I've got to go back 
So characters I hadn't written about for over 10 years, loved very much, used them in a few short stories. And over all this period of time, people uh, in, I don't want to say crowds, people, people that have turned out for a, a sign have said, when are you going to bring back and you'll and see me? And it never stopped. And it never stopped. And it never stopped. And finally I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I knew who my leads were in the story, and I just played off that. The other thing was, I, I just really hate writing contemporary times, because then I'm trapped with technology and the cell phone and all this stuff that... Uh, so it's just difficult to work into a story, difficult for me. Uh, so I said it back in time. It's not quite a prequel. It's not a matter of reading this, leading into the other stories. It's something that happened at an earlier time, and I've left that space, if I, if I have to do another Neil and Stevie, where I can start filling it in. In other words, if you hadn't read the first four books and were interested, this book would not be a problem in terms of ruining anything that came later. Tom? <laughs> Stanley? Is there almost always at least one character in, in, in each book based on all the wonderful people and nasty people you have to deal with in this time? Uh, how do you take the Fifth Amendment? Yeah, it's it's actually it's more than uh, than one character, Stanley. Uh, other than integrating stuff that I survived in my years in rock and roll, uh, I have a tendency to um, borrow real people and turn them into fictional characters. I, I guess it's, it's safe to say now that the Heathcliff Arms, where, where, the, where the story opens and where uh, Neil has lived through all the books, is based on uh, the condo in Westwood where my wife has worked for a quarter century. Uh, location, a uh, number of uh, of residents and so forth. Uh, there are a lot of celebrities who have come and gone from that place. So they move in, they score big, they move out. They move in, they don't score, score big, they move out. Um, and this particular character, who shall go nameless, actually lived, uh, lived in the building didn't murder anybody. You know, wasn't involved with him. But the concept of the character who was young and an alcoholic is legitimate. Uh, I don't think you'll get to it was, unless you were part of the scene. Even then, you won't. Uh, I think that answers the question. Yeah, over answers. Yeah. I know when I read a book, sometimes I miss the characters after I finish the book. Do you miss your characters after you finish writing? You mean the characters? Yeah, I miss, you know, sometimes I wonder what happened to them after the story was over. 
what, what happens is they move on to the next book. <laughs> it, it's something, it, it was a personal thing with us. The, the four books did well, Neil and Stevie I loved, and obviously continue to love, but there were, there were other stories and other themes I felt I wanted to write. And uh, the standalones gave me that, that freedom because there's no way that I might have integrated those characters into the story that I, stories I was telling. Uh, I think, now I think the book I'm, I'm, I'm playing with now uh, involves Neil and Stevie, but it brings them together with a character who figured in one of my standalones. Uh, and a couple of short stories that I had, had done for Ellery Queen and uh, Alfred Hitchcock. He, he's, a, he's a fellow who had been a, an LAPD detective and was hired away uh, to, uh, to be Louis B. Mayer's uh, honcho head man at uh, MGM. So here's the thing, I've had the latitude of playing with with uh, Neil and Stevie and doing more in the area of uh, the golden age of Hollywood. Is that it? Bobby. Yeah. What would you say? Bobby, my sister. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> When did you say the golden age of Hollywood ceased? Uh, after the 50s. Huh? The 60s, it, it was either waning or, or gone. It was. Yeah. It, it starts really in, in the 30s and moves forward. But uh, fr frankly, I don't know who half the, uh, the stars are nowadays. I think they're all named Chris, but, but that's, that's almost the extent of my knowledge. The movies that they used to make, they don't make anymore. Uh, proof to that is Turner movie classics. You see, and you recognize that, gee, I love that movie, they could never do it today. And it's sad, but true. They don't write the songs, right? Hmm? They don't write the songs anymore, either. No kidding. I, um, story on myself. I, I used to um, deliver a lecture once a year at UCLA to uh, a music class. Uh, and I would, so this particular year which goes back quite a way. Uh, it was, I was introduced, it was my time up there and I, I talked about music. And when I went to Q&A's, Somebody said, what do you think of rap? I said, it'll last a year, maybe. <laughs> we're, we're supposed to show you just how astute I am. I should have said, music will last about a year. Uh, but see, that's my prejudice. Uh, and yet I, I feature rap in a couple of the books. Uh, and I can't, I, no, I, can't, I can't explain that. 
So I said, when I say I feature rap, I feature the people who are in rap and being very successful at it, both uh, running record labels and as uh, radio jocks. Yes? Bob, I'm going to ask you a question I asked you over 10 years ago, and you never answered it. <laughs> um, when Elvis and Marilyn came out, uh, I said your partner was Graylon Landon, who was Elvis's best friend. For 26 years. Was there any relationship to reality to that book? And I didn't answer you? How dare me? <laughs> Heavens to Betsy. And I hardly know Betsy. Uh, well, in the sense that Elvis existed, yes, and Merrill existed, uh, and the fact that uh, I became friends during a period of time was Harry Brand, who ran publicity at Fox, and was intimately involved uh, with Marilyn and with Elvis when he, when he was there making his first fit and first movie. Uh, so let's just say I drew on certain events that I knew. All right? Okay. <laughs> See you in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me. I was putting stuff together for um, for tonight, <laughs> practicing my pronunciation, uh, and I came across this, which was a promotional booklet that the publisher knocked out in in support of that first book. It has the first chapter. And I was surprised because I'd forgotten about it. Uh, what I did remember after the fact is that that was the end of the publisher's promotional support. <laughs> and I can't say it's gotten better over the years. It's really, it, it, it's tougher and tougher for an, an author to sell books, in part because there are fewer and fewer places he can go to sell his books. And it's a shame because uh, brick and mortar stores are really the backbone uh, of the business. And it's why I do everything I can to steer people here as opposed to going online uh, and ordering that way. Although I recognize that's a fact of life and I just, and I just have to live with it. Who wants to say, buddy? It's free. The only back, Terry is yours. No, Terry. Jose, sorry. I have a book. I'll be the general. I'll let him read it. Oh. <laughs> I, I won't show it. I have a book. I'm just trying to get a back door. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the book doesn't stop there. <laughs> Wait, why is Terry getting the special thing? Terry's my hand. Wow. Where were you? I'm taking pictures, saying hi to oh. people. Why don't you have your daughter teach you how to tweet a little bit more on your Twitter account? I don't tweet. Well, you I don't know how. She's, she's 
fairly good at it. Not as good as me, of course. Hell yes. But <laughs> you could you could do a lot better. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook. <laughs> you do great on Facebook. You could just extend that to, as a matter of fact, you could feed your face, one of your Facebook accounts, directly to Twitter. Every three months, he does ask us what his Twitter password is. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> you can save it. I don't know what to do. I neglected to mention it earlier, and I would be very remiss if I didn't say thank you, Dandy Don Whittemore, for, for the ice cream. For your presence. That ice cream is the best in the West. Uh, and he's gone from being a great promotion man of music to being a great ice cream maker. Mm-hmm. And you brought the you brought on the bacon? Bacon avocado. <laughs> yeah. Bacon caramel. Uh, chocolate. Ice cream two types of ice creams with bacon. Bacon caramel. Yes, bacon caramel. Bacon avocado. Sounds like two characters in a book. Vanilla bean and a bunch of other ones. Yeah. You were just too generous, and I, and I thank you very much. We're just all fans of yours, and that's um, why we do what we do, because we believe in what you're doing. And it's believed in what you're doing for a long, long, long time. You know, if I start introducing familiar faces, we'll be here all night. Gene, I've known forever. Tom, I've known almost forever. Spence, I've known forever in a day. Joe Sutton, dear Joe, I've known. Stanley, I've known for decades. Uh, I've, been, I've been very fortunate. I, I don't mind admitting it. I, you know, I've gone from one career to another. Some people can't hold a job. I can't hold a career, but it's given me the opportunity to meet so many wonderful people I may not have come in contact with. Uh, listen, I'm done unless somebody wants to undo me. Thank, thank you all for being here. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.